Good morning. My name is Cameron Merrill, and my wife and I graduated there at York College in the height of the pandemic in 2020. Uh, we left for spring break to visit my family in Oklahoma and couldn't come back. We had 24 hours to get our stuff out and to uh, figure out what to do. And we never really got a conclusion to our college experience. But since then, we have been in Clarksville, Tennessee. We've been married for almost three years now. And we teach Bible at Clarksville Christian School. Uh, she teaches middle school and I teach high school and I coach soccer. And so what I wanted to talk to you guys about today is what it means to be at peace. What peace really looks like in life. It's a thing that we talk about. It's a thing that we uh, strive to have. It's one of the fruit of the spirit. And it seems to be one of the most unattainable. It seems the thing that we're always reaching for, but never quite getting to. And so today I wanted to try to help not just you guys, but also myself. A lot of my lessons end up being uh, something I can take away as well. But the definition for peace that I tried to mesh between a few that I found online is a deliberate state of calm and contentment. And deliberate because you have to choose to be calm. You have to choose to find contentment. And a lot of the definitions showed that you had to choose that in light of whatever stressors the situation may bring. Uh, one of those will likely be my dog during this, so you'll likely get introduced to her anytime now. But what disrupts this peace? What causes conflict within ourselves, with others, socially? Uh, what is it that brings that tension well, two things in the most basic sense. The first one is unfulfilled needs. If you guys are psychology majors or you've taken a psychology class, you've likely heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There are just some things in life that as humans we have to have or perhaps we feel that we need in life. And the second thing that ties into that is uh, this collective sense of fear that comes from not having those needs, the, the fear of security, having a sense of belonging, or being able to participate socially, or having economic well-being. There, there are just so many things that can cause fear in life and can disrupt that sense of peace that we might be striving for. So when we look at unfulfilled needs and we find ourselves in scripture there's a great example of someone who knows what it means to be at peace whether having need or having plenty and this guy is paul somehow paul seems to be content no matter what the situation is if you know anything about his life you know that as an apostle once he has made the switch and he's committed to Christ and he's gone from Saul to Paul, he has been beaten, he's been stoned, he's been run out of town, imprisoned, I mean, you name it. He's even been bitten by a snake and people thought he was going to be dead in a matter of seconds. They thought he was cursed by God. And yet, this is what he says. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. But Paul, like, what is the secret? You, you've learned the secret, great. What is that? If you look at who Paul is, he originally, he was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. He was a Hebrew among Hebrews. Under the law, he considered himself blameless. You could say that he had achieved all the accolades. He had gotten to the top of his game in life. Yet, he says this, whatever were gains to me, whatever those accolades, whatever those achievements, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I mean, if you think about the parables that Jesus spoke about in his uh, gospel message when, when he was teaching the people, he said there was a pearl that someone found, or there was an object, there was a treasure that someone found in a field, and they knew how valuable it was, so they ran back home, and they sold everything, they got rid of everything, they, they piled as much money as they possibly could to buy that field in order to have the treasure that they knew had surpassing value. They, they gave up everything for it, and Paul gave up everything. He, whatever were gains to me, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. Later he says, I consider them garbage in comparison, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. You see, he knew even when he had everything, even when he had all the achievements, when he had money, when he had fame, when it was all his, he was empty. I mean, it was, it was never truly enough. When we look for the things of the world that satisfy, when we look for power, when we look for money, when we look for accolades, when we look for whatever, it's only temporary. It's just like food. No matter how much you eat, you will be hungry time after time. Again and again, you will always need more. When we try to earn our salvation, we end up striving for an unattainable goal. It's not something that we're able to reach on our own. It has to be given to us. And we're not at peace because we have this hole in us. We have this need that needs to be filled. And everything that we look for, every solution we think we've found that's going to fill that hole forever ends up falling short, ends up not quite being enough. And even when it does fill it, it eventually, again, runs out. Paul seems to recognize this, and he lets all of it go. He says that he's found the secret. He found what's going to bring him peace no matter what. And he came to the place of fearing literally nothing. That's the second piece of the puzzle, these needs. We are afraid of losing. We're afraid of losing what we have, and we're afraid of losing what we could have. And so we claw and we fight and we, we fight others in order to have those things. And we fight and we try to cheat death like we're afraid. And Paul's not even afraid of death. I mean, come on, who, who doesn't in the back of their mind wonder or 
have that doubt or have that just little voice in the back of your head that's like, well, what if? Or what, what is it like to die? What, what will it be like? Is it going to be empty? Is, it, is my faith going to actually be right? Or will I even know? There's this sense of uncertainty and it disrupts our peace. But death doesn't even seem to be the case for Paul. He can be content. He can be at peace even when death is on the line. He says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is to share Christ. It's to try to represent him, try to share his gospel message of life. And to die is actually gain. What I used to consider gain, all those accolades, I give all of that up. You know what I would love to gain? Death. Okay, Paul, that seems absurd. Like, why would I even continue to listen to you? He says, if I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So if I'm alive, great. I'll work hard. I'll still find purpose with my life. I have been given this purpose and I'm going to share it with everyone else so that they can be filled like I know I have. But what shall I choose? You know, honestly, I don't know. I am torn between the two. See, Paul is in prison when he says this. He's in prison in Philippi and he's not sure if he's going to make it out. Actually, he's in, he's in prison, and he's writing to the Philippians, and they're worried for him. And so he writes to the Philippians saying, you have no need to fear. I don't even fear. I'm actually torn between the two. What shall I choose? If they want to kill me, man, that's actually a better option. If I could choose, I would say, sure, execute me. I can be with Jesus today. And what confidence that is. What kind of peace that is. But it is necessary for you that I remain in the body. I have more to share with you. I have so much more I want to teach you so that you can have this kind of peace. I want to give you the secret. He actually lives out Jesus's message in Matthew chapter 10. He says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. He has no fear over those who can kill him any instant. In fact, he'd prefer it, which we would say is crazy. But it finishes with this. It says, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. But here's the good news. The one who has the power over body and soul, the one who can destroy both body and soul, this God created you. Not only did he create you, but he loves you deeply. He loves you so much that he literally became flesh and gave himself up to pay your debt, to get you back, to take you out of the slavery that you have thrown yourself into. Like Hosea and Gomer, she continually runs away and finds herself in debt and now enslaved. And Homer, Hosea, I'm sorry, Hosea continues to chase after her. God continues to chase after us and to pay the debt and to free us from the rebellion that we continually 
go to. But wait, okay, yeah, now you're talking about God's love, that's great, but what's the secret? What's the peace that we're looking for? What's going to bring us that ultimate contentment in life and beyond life? Here it is. Knowing who God is and who we are to him. When we find our identity in God, in Christ, we recognize that we've tried our entire lives to satisfy what can only be filled by God. We recognize that. We realize the tests that we stress over passing, the performances we worry about nailing, the jobs that we agonize over finding and securing and maintaining and trying to climb up the ladder in, the everything in life that we fight over, that we fight with others over, is nothing more than a vapor. And it pales in comparison to the everlasting glory of being with our God in heaven. It, it pales in comparison to the value of that treasure in the field, that faith in Christ, that salvation, that relationship with him. It says, I can do all this in Christ who gives me strength. I can be content in all this, whether in plenty or in want, because Christ. I want to leave you with this. I was captain of the soccer team. I was Songfest host, ICC president, YCM intern, and most, if not all of you, would ever know that if I didn't tell you. Most people I work with will never know that. I mean, there's no reason for them to know that. If you put your identity in your academic performance, who are you when you've had a bad day and fail a test? Who are you when you're no longer in school and you're not in academics? You're now working for a living. Who are you if you put your identity in your career and you get let go or your business fails? Who are you? If you put your identity in your spouse or significant other, who are you if they decide to leave you, as hard as that sounds, or if you lose them, right or wrong? Who are you when you lose what you put your identity in? If you put your identity in God, what happens when you lose everything, when you find your life being a reflection of Job who lost everything? Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2 has this to say. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken.